0: Buy more, save more with a patio door at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Buy three windows, save $500. Buy six, save 1000 Buy a dozen, save 2000 bucks by adding a patio door. But only through April 30th. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome
1: to the show. Well, I guess it's easy to get confused. President Biden, answering questions from the press, was asked about Title 42. Title 42 is the the portion of U.S. law that Donald Trump um, invoked in 2020 to allow border control agents to turn back people from coming into this country because of the COVID crisis. You know, and and they estimate that um, that that has been used extensively, over a million people, instead of allowing um, people to come into the country illegally, saying they're going to request asylum, where they're then allowed to sort of stay in the country for an indeterminate period of time and disappear into the country. They were just turned away at the border. And that's resulted in, you know, over a million people being just turned away, So, um, in a move that I guess is designed to try to increase his poll ratings among certain parts of his constituency, uh, Joe Biden, who continues to maintain that, I guess, in some contexts, COVID is a huge problem, but it's not a problem, I guess, when it comes to people pouring across the border illegally. He said, "Okay, we're going to we're not going to follow this policy anymore. We're not going to implement Title 42. We're just going to let people come across the border. And this is at a time when the number of encounters between border control agents and people entering illegally is up dramatically, like a couple hundred thousand, I think, like last last month. So they ask him a question. They say, "Well, Mr. President, you know, explain to us th- this, this Title 42 thing, and what what is your thinking? And don't you realize what's going on with the border?" And uh, Joe Biden goes into a lengthy discussion of why they're considering appealing the judge's ruling in Tampa about the mask mandate on airplanes, to which all sorts of people kind of stand around. I've actually, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. I've got a a link to this. And it's one of these kind of uncomfortable moments where, you know, you, you ask the president about one thing and he does not appear to be tracking and he answers something completely different. My note on Twitter said, I guess it's easy to mix up border control policy with masks on airplanes. Right. I do hope the president doesn't get too confused and start shipping military aid intended for the Ukraine to former Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett in Luxembourg. I mean, Title 42 in the border, mask mandates on planes, sending military aid to Ukraine. Hey, Tom, you know, you you need you need some tanks in Luxembourg. Just just saying. Just saying, it's one of those kind of awkward, uncomfortable moments, but it leads into where I want to start our discussion today, which is with, with the border. Now, we talked about this a week or two ago when it first started happening, and it is continuing to happen. It is, admittedly, a political stunt, but given the fact that even if it, you accept the fact that it's a stunt, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is a bad idea. The border is absolutely out of control. And you're seeing more and more people streaming across the border than, than probably at any point in time, certainly during the Biden presidency and probably during the Trump presidency as well. And what is happening is these people that are coming in illegally are overwhelming small Texas towns. I've told this story before. I, you know, here in in Wisconsin, when we talk about the the problem with with immigration, it, it's it's sort of an abstract type of thing. You know, we we are not overwhelmed with people coming into this country Ill, illegally. And generally speaking, if we have stories about people who are in this country illegally, it's because they came in illegally and they have family members or friends or whatever here. It's not. It's not a problem in the upper Midwest, or at least it's not a significant problem in the upper Midwest. On the other hand, if you talk to people who live in Texas or who live in Arizona along the border, um, you, you get a completely different story. I told the story before, you know, a number of years ago, I was filling in. On a, on a, for a radio talk show in, in Arizona, in Tucson, along the border. And it was just completely eye opening to talk to people who, on any given day, you know, wake up and they find 10 to 15 to 20 people who've entered the country illegally, you know, in their backyard. It's a completely different issue when it comes to social services and all those types of things, one that we can only appreciate intellectually. So, anyhow, you have this influx of people who are coming across the border illegally that are overwhelming a lot of these small Texas towns. And there doesn't appear to be, I, I don't know if it's because it's Texas and it's Republican, but you, you don't get much sympathy at all from the Biden administration. It's kind of like, well, this is, this is sort of your problem. So what the governor of Texas, Governor Abbott, who is up for reelection this November, in order to make a point, if you haven't seen this, he has started— soliciting volunteers, people who've come into this country illegally, volunteers to get on buses and then they bus them up to Washington DC where they're dropped off. Over the course of the last two weeks, they've sent four buses. They haven't all been full. The total of number of people bused, they they estimate it's about 152, which is, of course, just a, a drop in the bucket compared to the number of people who are coming in illegally. But this is getting all sorts of criticism. How dare the governor... Do this. Oh, this is just a stunt. You know, why, why bother doing this? this? This is something that you shouldn't be moving people from Texas off to Washington, D.C. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The important thing to note here is that nobody is forced to do this. I mean, they, they go to these people who are in the country illegally and they say, hey, look, here here's the deal. Do you want to volunteer for this? Do you want to sign up for this? Would you rather stay in – here? here we are in this small little town in Texas or – do you want to go to Washington, D.C.? And if you want to go to Washington, D.C., we're going to put you on this bus and we're going to provide you with box lunches and we're going to drive you the 24 hours and then we're going to drop you off on the state of the Capitol, at the, on the stairs of the Capitol. Our number is 855 616 1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. All right, should, should they stop the governor from doing this? I don't think that there is anything illegal about doing this. And they say they're going to continue to do it. Now, again, it's it's kind of petered out a little bit, and part of this is a political stunt. But at the same time, if you've got politicians that do not appreciate what their policies are doing on your local communities, is there something wrong with doing this? Or— should maybe the governor of Texas be looking at saying not only are we going to send people to Washington DC, we're going to see if people want to volunteer to go to Delaware where Joe Biden is from. We're going to see if people want to go to volunteer to go to San Francisco where Nancy Pelosi is from. The list goes on and on. 855-616-1620. Should we stop the practice of bussing illegal immigrants to other parts of the country? 855-616-1620. We discuss. <laughs> The countdown to the draft is on, and we're doing it big with Draft Night's Megacast. On April 28th from 7 to 11 p.m., join Gabe Neitzel, Greg Matzik, Brian D, and Jason Wildy as they break down all things draft during round one. Plus, they'll be joined by Taos Chewy and other football voices throughout the show. Draft Night's Megacast. It's April 28th from 7 to 11 p.m. right here on 620 WTMJ. All right, apparently the other day, the, the fourth... Illegal immigrant migrant bus arrived in Washington, D.C. If you're just tuning in, the governor of Texas who finds himself and his state absolutely overwhelmed with the increasing influx of people coming into this country illegally. What he started to do is solicit volunteers. Hey, want to go up to Washington, D.C.? and they're taking these folks and they're dropping them off in Washington, D.C. on the steps of the Capitol. Some people are absolutely outraged about this. I guess I look at it and say, okay, this is, is it a stunt? Of course it's a stunt. On the other hand, when you have politicians who have completely turned your back, their back on, on a huge problem that affects, in this case, Texas, you can also make the same argument about Arizona. I, I think it's a, a step that All right. If you're calling attention to this problem, I think it's fine. And not only do I think it's fine to do this, I would suggest maybe they consider expanding it, not just limit these migrant buses to um, Washington, D.C. All right. Anybody want to go to San Francisco? Anybody want to go to Nancy Pelosi's district? Well, maybe we'll send them there. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I love the governor that is doing this. I think Arizona should do the same. This administration deserves this. Um, yeah, I think that there is an element to that. 855 um, 6161 Jeff, the immigrants are being transported somewhere, so why not to the communities of members of Congress who make the laws and those who are quick to criticize Texas officials and border security? Jeff, Biden should have had a plan for these people at the border, such as transport to unused military facilities. I love it from the governor of Texas. So, I mean, again, you have to understand that nobody is forcing these people to, to get on these buses. It's not like, hey, we're rounding up these people that because of Biden's policies, we're now not able to send back to where they came from. And we're not concerned about COVID when it comes to people coming into this country illegally. But we are apparently still concerned about COVID when you want to fly on an airplane and you don't want to wear a mask. So this is the, you know situation that is out there. So if people want to volunteer and they want to do it, I'd say more power to this. Jeff, how about we send people back, bust them out of the country? What part of illegal is unclear? Well that's that's at least under during the pandemic, that's what we were doing under this Title 42. Biden has decided to rescind this with no clue as to how he's going to help out the various people around the border. Um, And so he's at least trying to demonstrate the problem that's there. Now, given how bad the problem is and how out of control the border is, this this is—it's a drop in the bucket. You know, you're talking about, I think, maybe like 152 people or something like that. So admittedly, Stunt, you know, trying to call attention to this issue, trying to get people's attention to this, but— but that doesn't mean it's not worthwhile in trying to do something like this. Um, Jeff, I personally know of people who came into this country illegally and were flown free of charge to Wisconsin. They were asked where they wanted to go, and then they were given a ticket. No COVID test either. Well, yeah, you've got that element. We we don't care about this Jeff, I think the people might be volunteering, but they're still being used. Why not pour more effort into fixing the issue? Well, the problem is that that that's the whole, point of this the point is that the biden administration has no interest in fixing this issue and by their policies they continue to make it worse so in this case you've got these border these small border communities in texas that are absolutely overwhelmed by the influx of people coming in and washington doesn't care The Biden administration doesn't care. People who are running Congress apparently don't care. Okay, your community is overwhelmed along the border. Well, too bad. You guys figure out a way to deal with this. Yeah, I'm all in favor of putting more effort into trying to fix the issue, but— but that, that's not what's going on in Washington. Washington's response is, here, let, let's move more and more towards an open borders type of system, and you in Texas, or you in Arizona, but we're talking about Texas specifically, you figure out how to deal with the fact that now you know we're having thousands of interactions, thousands of people streaming across the border every day. You figure out how to deal with it. Well, yeah, I, I'd be all in favor of trying to fix the issue. But, you know, that's, that's not what's going on. And I think that's the point of the governor of Texas He's trying to call attention to the fact that the administration is doing nothing to try to fix this situation. So, you know, go figure with that. Jeff, I totally agree. I think everybody should go visit Joe. Well, I, I don't know that everybody should, but if people want to go to Washington, D.C., why not? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. There is something odd going on here, and to, to figure that out, actually, you don't really have to pick up the New York Times. All you have to do is listen to my program because I, I kind of give you that analysis a couple days beforehand. Remember when when you had it was what it was Monday, you had the federal judge in Tampa who struck down the government's mask mandate on airplanes, and at the time we didn't know whether or not the Biden administration or the Justice Department was going to seek an appeal, because what they could do is they could go to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and they, they could ask to have the order stayed, and then presumably the Court of Appeals would decide whether they'd stay the order, they could argue in front of the Court of Appeals, and ultimately the case, if appealed, would get up to the Supreme Court. Well, what was weird is, and it was weird, the Biden administration decided to take their time on this. They, they slow walked it because, as I've argued before, they realized that this is a political loser, that, that the vast majority of people don't want to have to wear masks on airplanes. And when you've already got a president whose approval ratings are where Biden's approval ratings are, you're in a situation where, OK, do, do we want to further antagonize people? On top of that, at least in my opinion, there is a very real chance that if the Biden administration sought to appeal this order, they would lose. I think, you know, that's, you never know, but I think there's a real chance that they would lose. So they they slow walked this, and they tried to do their best Pontius Pilate and wash their hands of this. Oh, well, we'll let the CDC decide. So then time goes on and time goes on. And I think it was then Wednesday that the CDC— suddenly decides, okay, well, now we, we think this should be appealed, and the Justice Department says we're going to appeal, but at least as of right now, I don't think they've, they've. I'm not sure they filed the appeal papers, they haven't gone in, they haven't asked for a, a stay. So I think what is going on here by not asking for a stay is you've got the Justice Department that's going through the motions. Here, you know, we're we're going to say we're going to appeal, but at the same time, we want this entire thing to, to end up going away. I'm not sure this argument is ever going to get in front of an appellate court because I just don't think the Biden administration wants to, first of all, take the chance that they're going to lose the case, which might might have implications for what happens, you know, the next time the CDC tries to use its power and its authority to, you know, require stuff in the name of, uh, again, a, a health Emergency. So you've got that issue. And there is the underlying politics that are there. And yes, I know that MSNBC has this poll out there saying that 70 percent of the people support the mask mandate on planes, to which I say, I just flat don't believe it. I mean, there's good polls, there's bad polls, there's junk polls, and then there's polls that suggest that 70 percent of the American public support a mandate saying you have to wear masks on planes. That would fit, at least in my opinion, into that junk poll category, because I just flat out do not believe it. I do know that there is this this poll. MSNBC did this poll, and as soon as the judge in Florida struck down the mask mandate, that they rushed this poll out there and they said, "Oh, seventy percent of the people want want a, people to be still required to wear masks on planes." And and I mean, I just call BS on that. I, one of our regular listeners who lives in Las Vegas, her name is Laura, she was apparently here for Easter, said, I just flew back to Vegas from Milwaukee. I would say about 90 percent of the travelers and the employees were not wearing masks in both airlines, airports, and on the planes. It was great not having to mask up. And, and that's, I mean, anecdotally, that that's I don't know if it's 90 percent, but my guess is among the people that are traveling and keep in mind, there's nothing that says that you can't wear a mask if you don't want to. I think it's probably about 80, 20. Now, maybe there's some people who never fly, who just in theory, since it doesn't affect them. Well, sure, we should have other people wearing masks. And maybe there's that. But among people who are traveling and the general public, too. And that's why Biden isn't pushing this. It's why they kind of tried to shuffle the appeal off on, well, we'll let the CDC decide because he knows it's not a winner. He knows that right or wrong, and I understand that there's some people who think we should wear masks for the rest of our, our natural lives, but you know, Biden understands that that's not where the vast majority of American people are. And when you're polling in the mid to low 30s, for approval ratings, and you've got midterm elections coming up, just gratuitously trying to pick another fight that you know is a loser with pretty much everybody, including even some people who are part of your hardcore base. It just doesn't make much sense. All right, before the break, gave you that analogy. Just imagine taking a whole big pot full of money, taking it out to a dumpster, and setting it on fire. You can kind of picture that, and you go, gosh, why would anybody do that? Well, That is precisely what has happened to CNN. Now, over the course of the last year or so, Warner Brothers um, decided that what they wanted to do is that there was somehow a demand for a CNN plus streaming service. And so, you know, what, they did is over the last year or so they invested about 300 M as in million dollars to try to develop and promote this streaming service they lured chris wallace away from fox news hey you're going to be the you're going to be the, the signature face of this new cnn plus thing um so that was the idea we'll, we'll bring him in here we're going to develop this and they were talking about how Um, you know, maybe what they're going to do is we we might invest like $700 million over the next few years. So with all this fanfare that they launched it, including a a massive marketing campaign, trying to convince people to, you know, pay money to stream the service. The charge was six bucks a month, $5.99 to get more CNN. All right. So they launch it on March 29th. So what's today? April 22nd. Yesterday, three weeks into this they have they have killed it they they said it's going to end at the end of the month we're We're not going to continue it. It has been a flop a long a long i mean it it's it's difficult, given all the money that was spent here it's difficult to imagine a more epic fail. I mean th- this is this is new coke. Remember new coke? <laughs> well th- this is new coke, but new coke at least lasted like a year. This is CNN Plus makes it 3 weeks before they recognize that this just isn't going anywhere. That people aren't going to pay $5.99 a-, a month to see Chris Wallace or to see the lead with Jake Tapper or to see Jake Tapper's book club or parental guidance with Anderson Cooper. There there was, I mean, it's imagine launching a streaming channel and there's no interest at all. Now, I don't want to say no interest. Apparently, um, they had fewer than 100,000 subscribers, which is, and, and a lot of those were like, trial things, you know, here you can try it, you can get rid of it in three weeks or, you know, whatever. Well, okay, if you're on that trial thing, it's probably, that tells you how many people were dropping off. But there was almost no interest at all in doing something like this. Now, I sent out a tweet about this as well. I mean, CNN now finds itself in a situation of, despite spending millions of dollars of advertising, nobody had an interest in paying for more CNN. Who could have known? Well, I would argue that almost everybody outside of CNN, not named Chris Wallace, I would argue that they knew this. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now... After during the pandemic, these streaming services just had huge interest, and we talked, I think, yesterday about Netflix. And for the first time, you know, globally, Netflix is reporting just a, a drop in subscribers, a dramatic drop, and you know, their stock took a huge hit, it's been down like thirty-five percent over the course of the last couple of days. So, I mean, Netflix is taking a hit. It is definitely a more challenging environment for streaming services, no question about it. Maybe one of the worst times ever to launch a stream streaming service. But CNN is an epic fail. At least CNN Plus is an epic fail. What happened? Is it just it, there's too many streaming services or is there something beyond this? 855-616-1620. And as you might guess, I think there's something more than just too many streaming services. We discuss in just a minute, why was this such a failure? <music> 8556161620 in in the categories of of epic fails that this is one of the all-time greats if you're just tuning in CNN launched 3 weeks ago they, they launched CNN Plus, which was going to be their their streaming service. Their effort to try to compete, say, with Fox Nation. Fox Nation has about a million subscribers. CNN Plus, uh, despite like discounts and free trials and stuff. Um, it was apparent early on, apparently, this, that this was, was going to be an epic fail. They had about 100,000 subscribers, 599 a month. But again, my guess is a lot of those subscribers were people who just came in and tried it and ended up bailing on it. But after three weeks, after investing over 300 um, – you know, million dollars to try to get this thing off the ground. They, they they just said, look, this this we're we're canning it. It's gonna end at the end of the month and we're gonna, you know, go back to, you know, square one. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. Okay, what 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 happened here? Let's start with Peter. Peter, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Remember Quibi? That was another one that failed a couple years ago.
1: Yeah, I don't. What what was that? Was that news or what was that? I don't, I I remember the name. No, it
2: was, it was a, basically an episodic TV service that was specifically designed to be watched in little bits on mobile phones, but then the pandemic hit and everybody stayed at home.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. So so why do you think CNN, but I mean, CNN is an established brand. I mean, it's, you would think that they I have a loyal that, following. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead.
2: I think they have a loyal following, but I don't think the loyal following goes much beyond, uh, you know, upcoming news or mm-hmm. news coverage. I don't think a lot of, the people want more of like Anderson Cooper or yeah. uh, Chris Wallace or any of the other people than they already have. I think the, the streaming services like friendly and Philo that don't have any of the news channels are doing very well.
1: Yeah. No, I think, you know, Peter, it's, it's interesting that you bring that. And I, I don't disagree with you. First of all, one of the things that they've had, on these different streaming services, the one format that has not had a lot of success has been the news talk shows. That That's, you know, on, on like some of the regular cable channels, you know, you have the talking head shows and stuff. There are exceptions, but not too many. They've had trouble making that transition over to that streaming platform. I think part of it is because you 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 can get what you want for for essentially for free. I mean, I understand that you have to you know have the cable coverage or whatever to, to get CNN, but you can get it for free. There's not enough different individual content that would motivate people to spend five ninety nine or more. On top of that. And one of our texters makes the point that you know, look what happened to the the liberal radio network, um, you know, Air America. Remember that was gonna that was gonna set talk radio on on its ear, and Air America, despite being able to bring in some high profile people, it was just an epic fail. And I, I think that's part of the lesson. Fox News, Fox Nation has this dedicated audience, but I think that's because they tune in because they get a perspective that they just don't think that they can get anywhere else. Whereas, you know, CNN, I mean, CNN is MSNBC in many respects, you know, just toned down slightly. So the question is, why would people spend five ninety-nine a month to, to do this? What are you offering them that they can't get anywhere else? And I think the executives took a look at this and said, yeah, we we don't have that sort of different kind of programming that, that's there and if people you know tune into CNN and they want the the news coverage well, okay, they're, they're not. Go- they're going to get that from watching CNN. They want to see what their headlines are, things like that. And let's even forget, you know, what the spin is that CNN's going to give. But we want to see what the headlines are. We want to see what the news is. And, and we're not going to go to streaming services for that. There's absolutely no reason to go to streaming services if we want to find out, you know, what the day's headlines are. So why would we pay $6 a month for that? And I think that's what they found out early. The The one, I guess, thing that really struck me is and this tells you how bad it must have been, is that they came to this conclusion this quickly, because it's true that cable channels and streaming services come and go, but normally you give them a little bit of time to, you know, to, to find an audience. You know, the idea is, okay, well, all right, it, it's a new show. It's a new network. What we need to do is we need to publicize this. Let's see if we can, you know, convince people to to come in. Let's see if we can provide, you know, a motive for doing that. And I think they came to the pretty, the pretty clear conclusion is that there wasn't enough distinct content to try to drive people over there. But, I'm, I mean, you want to talk about just completely lighting $300 million on fire – this is what that was. Now, as I said earlier also, this is probably right now about as bad a time to launch a new streaming service, especially especially if you're trying to appeal to the, the typical liberal viewer that I think makes up a good chunk of CNN's audience because, I mean, first of all, the, the pandemic is is largely over, so people are getting out of the house. People aren't watching streaming services as much as they, they did, you know, evidence of look what's going on with Netflix and losing its subscribers. So you're trying to launch a, a new channel. You're not necessarily offering um, distinct programming, stuff that they can't get anywhere else, and you're appealing to a political audience that that right now is kind of depressed, uh, just Looking at you know what what's going on, and by the way, that there's a there's a pendulum that, that swings. You could make the same argument that um, at different points in time over the course of the last 20 years where you had the conservative audience that was sort of depressed as far as it, its viewing and would you pay extra and stuff. But I mean, how much how many people are going to subscribe and spend six dollars a month for something they can get elsewhere? And the, the answer is just clearly not enough. But when you again put down epic fails. It's not so much that CNS and then CNN Plus failed. To me, it's they bailed on it this quickly, and it's that people thought it was going to be a good idea in the first place. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. 2022 has been a, a bad year when it comes to the passing of Celebrities, whether it's Broadway features, fixtures, or or comedians, Gilbert Gottfried, Bob Saget, or um, you know movie stars and singers. I mean, it just it seems like in the first couple months of 2022, you've had a, a disproportionate number of of people who, in many respects, were kind of the soundtrack of a lot of our lives as we were growing up. They, they, they've passed away. There's another example of that that happened this week, and it, it might be somebody that you 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 might not be familiar with the name but if you saw him, you, you'd know who it was. Robert Morse passed away at the age of, of 90. Robert Morse was kind of a song and dance guy who made his career on Broadway. He was most famously linked to the the huge Broadway success, um, how, how to succeed in business without really trying. And then he he reprised his role on Broadway in, in the movie. He was a guy who just incredibly, incredibly talented. I, I remember he had a Back in the the sixties, I remember as a kid, he had a, a TV show that ran for one year, and it was called, you know, That's Life or something like that. And it was it was really kind of a revolutionary, groundbreaking TV show um because it was kind of a sitcom slash variety show all wrapped into one. And it, it only ran a year, never really quite found an audience. But he was he, and then you know after he after the the movie stuff kind of petered out. What he did is he went back to Broadway, did a number of performances to, um, I think, a lot of viewers. If you were trying to figure out who is this Robert Morse guy, um, if you remember the TV show Mad Men that in and of itself ended a couple years ago, he played... He played the guy that, that ran the advertising agency. He, his character was uh, Bertram Cooper in the show Mad Men. And after a couple of years, they ended up uh, killing off his character. But that was Robert Morris, who, you know, had that role probably when he was in his mid 80s and stuff. But this is he was a great performer who I thought was really always underrated. His his big Broadway show after How You Succeed in Business Without Really Trying is he came back in the 80s and 90s um, with the sh- a show about Truman Capote, uh, a Broadway play. It was called True. And um, he was just exceptional, apparently exceptional in it. I never got to see him perform it, although I have seen the play. But he was just just an amazing and incredibly talented guy and, and like I say, one of these people who maybe the name doesn't mean anything to you, but if, if you see the pictures, particular, particularly the pictures of him in the 60s and 70s and stuff, you go, oh, that that's the guy. He had this, uh, there was a gap between his two front teeth, and so that was that was kind of his recognizable trademark. Oh, that's the guy. But incredibly, incredibly talented, probably never got his due completely, passed away at the age of 90, incredibly talented man who definitely will be missed, and another another celebrity slash star who passes away in 2022. All right, a lot of stuff coming up the next hour, including what what happened to Festa Italiana and the Memorial Day Parade. Stick around.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Well, it's not the way we want to end the week. It is Cold it is crummy outside with the rain, and tomorrow 's supposed to be nice, but then more rain on Sunday and then cold the rest of the the next week so dry but but still cold so you 've got all that stuff going on um, during our news break we We heard some people talking about retirement and stuff like that i i 'm not sure if i 'm not sure if anybody's going to be able to retire if the stock market continues doing what it 's doing if you haven 't been paying attention after. Just after a meltdown yesterday, based on the fact that the Federal Reserve announced that they were going to increase interest rates in an effort to try to tame inflation, which is running amok now, and inflation hasn't been something that we've dealt with for a long, long time, today the stock market losses have continued. It, it's just bloody. Today, That right now, the Dow Jones Industrial down 734 points as we speak. The NASDAQ down 285. In both cases, those are—it's oh, getting worse both both cases that's more than a 2% decrease and that follows a bloodbath yesterday the nasdaq is now below where it was when when joe biden took over so it it's it's down from biden the dow jones up slightly, but nowhere near where it was, I don't know, a few months ago. And there's a lot of factors going on. Inflation is driving it, supply chain things. You've got the um, war in Ukraine, all that stuff. But um, for people who are close to retirement- or in retirement, yet you, you can't look at what's been going on really for the last six months or so and not have a little bit of, of concern. And I understand some of this is kind of paper money and things like that, but it's it's not good. And I guess the problem is, do we have confidence that anybody knows how, how we're going to stop this? Or are we, in fact, looking at a recession? And are we going to be looking at a couple years of things like this where the big run-ups we've had in the stock market end up being given back? And, I mean, it's only only time will tell. But, yeah, it's another really, really bad day in the stock market. You knew it was going to be bad. I didn't quite think it was going to be as bad as it's turning out to be. So, Thankfully, I mean, at least the market will have a couple days off to at least cool down after what appears to be a pretty significant meltdown over the last day or two. I always talk about traditions and things, especially growing up around here, things that were institutions that you just, you know, always thought were going to be there, and then suddenly they're not, and people start to wonder, you know, why this is. Now, earlier— was it this month, I think? You know, the folks at Festa Italiana. And Festa Italiana, as far as the lakefront ethnic festivals go, I, I think you can make an argument that it was it was the most attended. Um, maybe the people at Irish Fest would, would disagree, but it always seemed to me that it was Festa first, and then it was Irish Fest, and then it was German Fest, and a couple of the others. But Festa Italiana was a huge part of, of the summer, coming, you know, a couple weeks after... Um, after, after the conclusion of, of Summerfest and things like that. Well, a couple of weeks ago, they announced that you know, Festa Italiana would be canceled for the third straight year. Now, the first two years, well, the first year was definitely pandemic-related. The second year was kind of pandemic-related, but also financial. This year, no pandemic, but it, it's, it's being canceled. And the reports are that it's, it's pretty much due to um, finances, that the um, you know the Italian community center that runs Festa Italiana, um, their, their revenues were exceeded by their expenses. It costs you know quite a bit to put on the festival, and it, it just wasn't making money. And matter of fact, it wasn't making money, it was losing money, and they didn't have the, the money. So FESTA's been canceled. And the interesting, and perhaps for people who love that festival, sort of scary thing is in the announcement when they said it was being canceled, it, it, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to be – we're planning to be back in 2023. There was no comment about it at all. And if it's due in part to these financial problems, you, you don't get the idea that that's going to go away, which makes you wonder whether there, – there will be a Festa Italiana in the future, or whether that's something that just kind of like the circus parade is going to, you know, go by the wayside. Well, on the heels of the cancellation of Festa, the announcement um, that came out just a couple days ago was the Milwaukee Memorial Day parade is is over. Parade organizers decided to end the event, and they, they ended it permanently. They've said, look, it's not coming back, citing what they say are rising costs and a lack of interest. The parade, you know, goes back, I mean, a long, long time. I mean, uh, decades. Matter of fact, they had a, at one point in time, there was, I I mean, over 150 years, I, I believe. So yeah, the organizers said that the parade that was held in 2019, which is the last time it happened, was the 154th annual Memorial Day Parade in Milwaukee canceled in 2020 because of the pandemic, did not occur in 2021, partly pandemic, but partly related to to finances. It's all been run by volunteers. And this is the Journal Sentinel story says the volunteers who've run the parade for 30 years tried their best to maintain the event, but they just they've they've exhausted their options available to keep it running. They say support and enthusiasm has diminished over the last several years, and so rising costs coupled with a lack of interest means the parade disappears. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. What happened? What 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 happened? Whether it's it's Festa Italiana or the Memorial Day parade, these these were traditions. These were institutions. Is it simply is it is it all due to the pandemic and to COVID, or is there something larger going on here? Which you know maybe that things just kind of run their course, and, and maybe. Well, okay, that the spirit of of patriotism or whatever that you know fueled turnouts and contributions to the Memorial Day parade um, over, say, nine eleven. Well, nine eleven was a long time ago. That that kind of wanes over time. Is this one of these situations where people just it things run their course, and and is that what is that what has happened with festa italiana? Is that what's happened with the Memorial Day parade? Is that what is that what is going to happen to other Events that we think as traditions, that they've just kind of run their course? Or is there something larger going on? 855-616-1620. And will you miss these institutions? We discuss in just a moment. So if you're just tuning in, Festa Italiana, a fixture at the lakefront ethnic festivals for the third year in a row, it's not going to be staged. And and nobody's saying whether it's going to be back or not. And the reports are that Festa was losing money and... That, that it just might make not might may, not, might not make any sense to to run it anymore. Uh, the Memorial Day parade. The Memorial Day parade has been around for they say 150 years. It was last staged in 2019. Organizers have said we're done. It, it's it's not going to be coming back this year, and it's not coming back. Period. We we don't have the money to put it on. We don't have the volunteers to put it on. There's not enough interest in this. So we're, we're just going to move on. Is this the wave of the future? Let's talk to Cynthia. Cynthia, good, Cynthia, good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon, Jeff.
1: Well, so what's going on? What do you think is happening?
3: I, I believe, take a look when you do go to these events, uh, even the turkey trot, It's it's people who are older that are there doing this volunteering. Now, I raised my children, and they weren't happy about it, but I I volunteered them to do things. And, you know, they'd say, we don't mind doing it, but could you ask us? But they were taught that, you know, if the baseball team's going to have something and there's volunteer time, we need to do it. Uh We slept in a high school gym for two nights to raise money for a baseball team for a home show. You know, well, somebody has to do it. I don't think, just like you can't get children are young to take a job, they they just think everybody else should do it, and mm-hmm. and they're all waiting for somebody else to do it. And when it's not going to be there and it's gone, well, you know, I I don't know what's going to happen. But I I've seen it. Well, I'm from Northern Wisconsin, and I saw it happening back there nine years ago mm-hmm. with the fire department, the JCs, the the. Rotarians, yep. you know, it—it's just no. Nobody wants to do it. Is if, if we have a, a, a lazy country.
1: Well, thanks. So. I mean, I don't know if it's less. thanks for perspective, Cynthia. You know, I, I was as you were talking. I, I mean, I, I was sitting there thinking if if you look at it, a lot of the, the service organizations out there, the you 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 said the, you know, the Rotary clubs, but you'd include the, the Lions clubs and the Elks clubs, and you know all all those, those different service organizations one of the things that and i think if you if you talk honestly these people that they'll tell you their their biggest challenge is getting in new younger members you're you're exactly right a lot of the the people that are doing the events and stuff like that they they're the same people who've been doing the events for 30 and, and 40 years year after year after year and there's always and i understand there're some exceptions but as a general rule they're, they're just not those the, there's not the, the younger people and by younger now i'm even talking about people in their 40s and 50s who are are coming in who are picking up that mantle, and I think that's you know what you're starting to see as well. Now, some people would say, "Well, there's too many events that are around. There's too many demands on people's time. There's all sorts of reasons for it, but it is in fact the the reality that's out there. And at the same time, some things some things do get get tired. Um, you know, the the circus parade, which was an institution here in Milwaukee for years and years. Well, people start Stopped showing up in in the numbers that they did when it first started, and soon and you know pretty soon it just it, there was not enough interest. People would say, "Oh, I love the circus parade," and then you'd say, "Okay, well, when was the last time you were there?" Well, I was there about ah, I was probably seven or eight years ago, and 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 that's kind of the the thing that happens. You know, at some point in time, people find different interests. Now, the Memorial Day parade is is a different sort of thing because you you would think that we'd always be able to find the energy to support you know people. Around Memorial Day, but at the same time, and by the way, this is not critic, uh, this is not a criticism of the volunteers and the organizers who, for years, I think, pulled out all the stops in an effort to keep the event going. But at some point in time, you just get to that reality where you say, "We we can't." Jeff, I think uh, COVID played a part in people not being able to participate, and with the time off. Realized it was too much work. Also, we're losing the old-timers, the texter's perspective, not mine. We're losing the old-timers that were keeping these traditions going. The younger generations do not want to commit. Um, Jeff, some people are incredibly busy and burned out. They just can't take on another um, volunteer activity. Um, there is that. Jeff, I honestly think a lot of those events were patronized by an older generation. Personally, I don't see people of the 90s or early 2000s going to these types of events anymore. They're more likely to go to Summerfest than some of the other social events as of them. And and you know, keep in mind, Summerfest has been wrestling with a, a drop-off in attendance. Now, I don't see Summerfest as being endangered in that regard. but But yeah, I mean, people's People's habits change a little bit, Um, and there's no question. There's no question about it that you know people are, 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 people are making some of these decisions. Jeff, I think you're going to see many events like parades and festivals go away. From people I know that organize things like this, there's no interest anymore in people volunteering to help out at these type of events, which. You need the volunteers to make them financially work. They also say to me that people are not willing to pay the amount of money for admissions and other costs to attend and to ultimately cover the costs of putting on those types of events anymore. I don't think the younger generation cares that much for festivals and parades and fairs. I, and I mean, I'm, I'm going to plead guilty. It's, it's, I Festa Italiana, But to tell you the honest to goodness truth, if you were to ask me and say, OK, Jeff, when was other than... Being down there to broadcast because there was a period of time where we we broadcast from there. When was the last time that you know you went down there on your own, and and it's been a long time. And and maybe it's just because people get burned out on things. Let's talk to Wendy. Wendy, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Hi. It's uh, quite a topic you're talking about here. I was just at the Janesville City Volunteer um, Committee meeting yesterday where they thanked all the volunteers, and there was a wide range of ages of volunteers, and they were showing that it saved the city um, thousands and thousands of dollars by these volunteers. And many of us just made the comment that yes, everyone is busy, have lots of things going, but if everyone would take just that little piece, that little piece of the pie and the puzzle, we'd have plenty of volunteers.
1: So why do you think they're, they're not?
4: Um, I am an older volunteer. I'm in my 60s, and I have volunteered at specific places for many years. I don't think people think about it as much, and they've got two working incomes, the mom and dad work. The kids are now in many different sports, and unfortunately, I don't want to sound bad, but maybe they don't care as much Hmm. Brothers.
1: Well, well, yeah. No, thanks for calling. I mean, that, that that's clearly that that's clearly issue. And like I say, if, if you talk to people who are in service organizations, they'll tell you, and and maybe there are some exceptions, but they'll tell you that's their their biggest challenge. It's okay. It, it's viewed all right. I I might join this service organization or whatever, but that's that was kind of my dad's service organization, or it was my grandfather's service organization, and and, and that's always the challenge. And you wonder. You you wonder what the future of that's going to be, you know. And then when it comes to things like parades and whatever, I, you you wonder if among the general population, do, do the parades become passe you know i it just is it like okay well it's kind of the same thing every year and and i'm I'm not being critical i'm just trying to figure out why they're having these problems is it like okay well you know we 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 you do it every year and after a while it kind of becomes old hat i think partly though people always assume that it's going to be there and then all of a sudden it's not and you start to miss it let's talk to chuck chuck you're on wtmj good afternoon
5: yeah. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I mean, you said it earlier in the program how maybe it just ran its course and maybe so, but Memorial Day was always a consideration for all the veterans that served. I'm, myself a, ve- I'm a veteran, and as my children were younger back in the 80s and 90s, we always enjoyed the parade up here in Sheboygan. And even when I lived in Manitowoc, I got to make man Nichols at the end of the parade. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, My thought on all this, though, I got a lot of younger relatives, nephews, nieces. They went to college. They got the burden of paying that big old college bill back. You know, they've got a good career going, but they always talk about how much of a burden that paying that college thing back is going to take them like 10 years. You got that. And I think along with the inflationary problems we got going on, I mentioned to your producer that The housing market was, it was right on your radio station the other day, that even though housing sales is great for the wealthier people in this country, but the poor working class is slowly falling out of the picture of owning a home. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's just a lot of disgruntled younger people, you know, the younger generation. Well, and. Yeah, yeah i think you're so on trying I, to decide,
1: yeah I think you might know. be onto to some truck i mean thanks so at you know at the same time i mean i look at at my wife's grandkids and and they were their their parents my my stepdaughter and my son in law they were always very active in volunteering, and they, they the, the grandkids are, too. I mean, they're now in high school, and they're very, very involved in some of the charitable work and stuff, and we're very, very proud of them. But that was something that was pushed by their their parents. And I do think that there's maybe a, a, maybe us baby boomers, for whatever reasons, we weren't as active in volunteering as maybe our parents were, and as a result of that, we weren't as active in trying to push – you know our kids to be as active and volunteering, and now it's too much. Now you're starting to get a couple generations removed, so they're they're not pushing their kids. I I'll, I mean it's it look it's a reality. I I get that, and it there's nobody really to blame for it. But you know I think you're going to see a lot more of these things these traditional events that we always assumed would be there go by the wayside. I I don't know if Fest is coming back, but there's no indication that it is. I don't know. I mean the Memorial Day parade, they say that that's already history. My guess is you're going to see more events disappear, sometimes events that we never thought were going to go anywhere. <laughs> So, very glad to have you with us. All right. We talk a lot about voting, and I understand there's, there's, with elections, and there's some people who think elections were stolen, and there's some people who think we make it too hard for people to vote, and there's some people who think we make it too easy for people to vote. For, for me, I think that voting is a, it is a right, but it is also, in some respects, a, a privilege that, that we have. At the same time, I respect the fact that some people choose not to vote. Now, I don't get that. I I, I don't get it because I I love everything about voting. I I love—that's one of the reasons why, even though it would be more convenient to just, like, get a ballot in the mail and then, you know— put it back and send it back in. I I like going down to city hall and I I don't do this always on election day anymore, but a lot of times it's early voting as well. I I like doing that. I, I like everything about that process. I always have. At the same time though, I think that if you are going to vote, you have an obligation to kind of inform yourself about different elections, which is why sometimes in some of these obscure local elections i i I choose even if i'm voting in some other races if i really don't know anything about the candidates and i i I don't care about a particular office and i understand maybe you think that's terrible but we can't all care about everything i'll just i I won't vote they a lot of people do that they call it ballot fatigue it's why if you look at the number of votes that are cast people tend to vote if you go in for example in a presidential election almost everybody votes for, for president. And then as you go down the ballot, U.S. Senate, well, lots of people vote for that. Maybe not as many people have voted for Senate. Then you go down to Congress. And then as you start going further and further down the ballot, you see that there's there's fewer and fewer votes that are cast. So the number of people who voted for president doesn't always translate into the number of people who voted for state representative, because the people just, ballot fatigue or, or whatever, they're kind of like, well, I don't know who to vote for, et cetera, so I'm not going to vote. And I think that that's fine, too. If I don't think people should have to vote. And matter of fact, maybe there's some people who maybe if they don't care enough to inform themselves or don't care enough to try to obtain a ballot or don't care enough to you know, go out to the polls, maybe it's best that they're not voting. I mean, they certainly have the right to do it. I bring this up because this week— there was a bill that was introduced in the U.S. Congress. It's called the Civic Duty to Vote Act, which was authored by a Democratic representative from Connecticut. The act, the Civic Duty to Vote Act, would require, require an eligible citizen to appear to vote in each regularly scheduled general election for federal office and for other purposes. To be eligible, you have to be registered in the vo- to vote in the state that you reside in for an upcoming election. If you are registered to vote and you fail to show up to vote, you would be subject to a civil penalty. You would be fined. Now, the fine is small. Right now, they say it's $20. So you get a $20 civil penalty for not voting, and it does have a couple exceptions that if you had a valid and sufficient reason for not appearing, um, including that, um, let's see, you couldn't vote due to an emergency, Um, you have sincerely held religious or personal beliefs to prevent you from voting, in which case it would tell me that you probably wouldn't be registered, but that's another story, or if you were just uh, unaware that you were eligible to vote. But otherwise— If you were a registered voter, eligible to vote, you have to vote. And if you don't, you can be fined. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is one of the most staggeringly dumb ideas that I have heard in a long time, telling people that the government is going to force them to vote. As a matter of fact, see, I think with the right to vote— comes the right not to vote. And if people choose that to, to exercise their right not to vote— I think they should be entitled to do it. The idea of the government coercing people to go out to vote, and believe me, I I think people should form themselves. I, I think they should vote. I'd like to see it when it's high turnout. But the idea that the government's saying that you have to vote, to me, that's scary. That's the kind of stuff that you see in Soviet Russia and things like that where it's kind of like you must show up to vote. And, you know, these are the people you have to vote for. But I understand maybe people disagree. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should people be forced to vote? And if you don't vote, should the government fine you? My answer would be no. What do you think? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, a legislator in Congress on Monday introduced a, a proposed bill. They call it the Civic Duty to Vote Act, which says that every citizen who's eligible to vote must vote in every general election. And if you don't, the government will fine you. What do you think? Let's talk to Travis in Milwaukee. Travis, you're on WTMJ.
6: Ah, good afternoon, Jeff. How are hey, you?
1: Good. What do you think?
6: I've actually been thinking about this for quite a long time, even well before even the election of two thousand eight. Actually, I was actually in infantry school for the Marine Corps after just enlisting, and I got my absentee ballot three days after the election. So I was thinking, hmm, what if we just force everyone to vote? If you're a legal U.S. citizen, mm-hmm. you're not a yep. uh, felon. And you are like you should just show up, be forced to vote. But I mean, there's some argument here. I'm thinking maybe make every general election day a U.S. holiday. Yeah. But, Everyone but has but to what, get off of work, but, or but, at least but, but uh, Travis, let, let's focus on the, it.
1: Let's focus on the the underlying issue. What if I don't want to vote? What if I what if I I don't want to vote? Should the government make me do that? Make me vote?
6: I think there maybe we should change up the ballot a little bit. You know, we all we have multiple parties. We should also have the last option of option E: None of the above. I refuse to vote on this subject. You show up. I don't want anyone. Turn around and leave. Well,
1: well, what's and
6: technically you have voted, but nothing changes.
1: But what's the purpose of that? I mean, I guess what if if I don't want to participate, shouldn't I have the right? to not participate? I mean, do I, I guess my question is how how far do we do we go? If you say okay, you have to vote, do we then say okay, well you have to everybody has to attend all the school board meetings and you have to attend the common council meetings or or whatever. I mean, don't don't we have a right to not participate?
6: We're Americans. If we didn't participate, why are we even here then? Cuz our democracy is our foundation of our entire constitutional republic. Everyone says, well, I didn't vote, so it's not my problem. I, I mean, just this last election, last a couple of my courses, who do you vote for? And they're like, oh, I didn't vote. Really? Mm. I thought you guys were going to vote. And they're like, no, we don't feel like it. But then but, they,
1: but do you want those people like, voting? If what? if they don't care enough, If I guess, if they don't care enough to go out and and vote... Why would we force them to vote if they don't want to participate in, in the process? Why, why why do we want them to vote then if, if they don't care enough to, to, to go out and do it?
6: Because it comes to the argument of oh, if you take away someone's right to vote, that you're all, you're already taking away you know constitutional amendment rights. It's like
1: well, well okay, saying, Travis, thanks for call. I mean, I, look, I, I I we're not talking about taking away somebody's right to vote it. This is this is the flip side of that. This is taking away somebody's right to not vote. <laughs> you know, which we, and I, I think I think you have a right to to. For whatever reasons, if you choose that you do not want to participate, I, I think you have the right to, to do that. I don't think the government—I mean, to me, actually, that's the scary thing. That's that's To me, that's the totalitarian society where we tell everybody, you must go out and vote. You must do this. Well, I do, do I think it's a good thing for people to vote? Yeah, I honestly do. Do I think we can have legitimate conversations about ways to make it easier for people who choose to exercise their franchise to do it? Absolutely. Do I think, however, that the government should come in and and tell people that you you must do this, even if you don't want to do it, even if you are you choose to be uninformed about this, even if you take no position on it? No. I, and then, okay, again, as I was talking about the val, ballot fatigue, how far do you do you carry this? Do you say that okay, you you have to show up and vote, and you have to vote for? all the offices. You've got to vote for president. You've got to vote for Senate. You, well, maybe I don't like either of the candidates. Maybe I, I don't want to support either one. Maybe I don't have a position on either of the candidates. Maybe I don't I can't choose. No, you must vote. You must pick a candidate. Now, see, in, I, I'm all about democracy. I'm all about individual freedom and all. And the idea that the government would come out and tell you you have to do it, to me, that that's the scary thing. Jeff, mandatory voting is ridiculous. It's another bird. On the communities to keep track of. Um, well, there is that element that's there as, as well. Um, you know, eight five five six one six one six twenty is the number. Jeff, I think not voting is a voting choice. I agree. Um, you know, I agree. It, it's You are making the choice that you choose not to participate in a particular election. And people can criticize you for not voting if they feel like it. But if you don't want to participate, this is America. You, you should have the right not to participate. Now, here's a text, Jeff. This is a free country. Last time I checked, you have the right to choose. If you choose not to vote, it's your choice. I agree completely. And I also don't think the government should be in a position of fining you, whether it's $20 or $50 or a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars if you choose to stay home on election day for whatever reasons it is a free country or at least it was the last time i checked hey coming up in the two o'clock hour as we always do right around 2 30 we've got our pop culture corner sponsored by palermo's pizza with our giveaway as well it's always going to be a lot of fun and uh today's is a very timely pop culture corner one thing to watch, uh, we've been talking more about international stuff um, over the last couple months than we typically do on the program, in, in large part because one of the dominant stories, worldwide stories, is what's going on in Ukraine. Um, over this weekend, um, big news out of France because there is the the runoff uh, election, and what, the way it works in, in France is they have it's a very very short campaign season and a number of people run and then the top 2 vote getters have like a 2 or 3 week campaign and then then they vote and th- this weekend is the vote the thing that people are watching is that the the president right now of of France and France has not um France has not reelected a president for a long long time and um, the, the Pre- Macron, he, he's running for re-election. He is leading slightly in the polls. My guess is, is he wins? But he's getting a challenge from. Um, one of the, her name is Marie Le Clon, Clon, and she's from, um, she represents, Le Pen is her name, and she represents one of the more conservative parties. She's probably the leader in the the top French conservative party, and she's running a lot stronger in the polls than a lot of people thought. And there's some people that are just kind of wringing their hands that that she might end up winning. There's concerns about, does she have too many ties to Russia and Vladimir Putin and things like that? Don't know how it's going to turn out. My guess, is macron wins re-election but it is going to be i think a lot closer than people anticipate and obviously if there is a change in the presidency in france well you know it 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 could have some long-term effects on on how the war in ukraine is prosecuted we'll talk more about that on monday
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is The Jeff Wagner Show, and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good
1: afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. So glad to have you with us on a rainy, generally crummy Friday afternoon. Uh, things are supposed to get better tomorrow, and then they take a turn for the worse next week. But we, even if we're not going to have spring, maybe summer will roll around at some point in time. So Matt, I think we're paying for having a, a relatively mild winter. It's just funny how stuff evens out. Okay, we have talked repeatedly about the the big domestic story of the week is, of course, that the federal judge in Tampa struck down the Biden mask mandate on public transportation. And that, that's caused a lot of angst. As I was saying at the start of the program, that this, this is, in many respects, it's the worst case scenario for Biden because they, the, the Biden administration in general, and I think Joe Biden wants to keep this in place, they, they want to keep it in place, but they've got two problems. First of all, they know that it is politically unpopular, and the, the president, his approval ratings are, are hovering in the 30s or maybe the low 40s. He, he He's not— and you can always turn that around. But going into the midterms, this is not where you want to be. He and and I think I was looking at an average of like the previous, going back to Eisenhower, the previous presidents. And he and at the same time in their presidency, he and Donald Trump are on about the same level, like right around 40 percent. And for Donald Trump, in the midterms in 2018, it was a bloodbath. It just was. And I think a lot of people are thinking it's going to be that case for Biden as well. So the, the mask mandate is... I believe it is unpopular. Also, as I've said before, I think there is a very real chance if the Justice Department appeals this and it does go up to a court of appeals or it goes to the Supreme Court, I think there's a very good chance they're going to lose. In in other words, I think that the reasoning of the federal judge in Tampa is going to be found to be valid. And so— Here you've got this deal. It's politically unpopular. You might lose. And that's why the Biden administration has been slow walking this appeal. They said, well, first of all, we're going to let the CDC decide. CDC decides, go ahead. The Justice Department files an appeal. But it's been days and days and days. And it's not like they're running into court trying to find an emergency stay of this order or anything. I think they're just kind of happy to say, OK, well, we appealed this. But if it goes away, I think they would be just as happy with that. If you look at the reports from the airports and things like that, you will see that in general, not everybody, but I think the majority of people who are flying are glad to see the mask mandate go away. My guess is 70 to 80 percent could be a little bit more, could be a little bit less. But in general, I think that this has been very well received. I think most people are over the masks. And by the way, nothing, as we have repeatedly say, nothing says that if, if you want to wear a mask on a plane, you, you can't wear a mask on a plane. But most people are choosing not to do that. Now, this raises a couple issues. First of all, what about people who made arrangements to fly and who who were – who would not fly if they didn't think that everybody else was going to be masked. So now the mask mandate has been struck down. You've got a plane ticket. You're supposed to fly to wherever on, on Saturday. You know, you're getting on a plane to go somewhere on Saturday. You thought that everybody would have to wear masks, and now they don't. So you know what? What do you do? Should you be entitled, for example, to a refund? Obviously, the airline can't make everybody you know put on. Well, I guess they can try, but no airline, I think, is going to mandate masks at this point. So the question becomes should you get a refund. If you hey, I thought that everybody was going to be wearing a mask, now that they don't have to, I don't feel comfortable flying. Should you be able to get a refund? And a lot of airlines are wrestling with this, and some of the big ones including United are saying, well, we'll look at it on a case-by-case basis. You know, we're not going to set a policy, uh, a formal policy, but if somebody really you know, doesn't want to get on the plane because people around him or her aren't going to be wearing a mask, we'll consider giving him a refund. Of course, that doesn't help the person who, hey, I was planning to go to Cancun this weekend, and I thought everybody would be wearing masks, at least till I got to Cancun. Now they're not. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. Okay, how big a deal is this in the real world? And that's, I understand a lot of times when we talk about these issues, we we talk about them in this kind of theoretical sense. But in the real world, do you think that there are actually many people who would choose to cancel their plans or not get on an airplane because now masks aren't going to be required? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My guess is there might be a few, but probably not many. There might be people who would prefer if everybody had to wear masks. But the idea that the idea that now that it's not going to be required, would that really motivate any significant number of people to change their plans? Now, keep in mind also, there, there's been no guarantees because, for example, that the mask mandate was supposed to expire in early April and even though it's been continued to May 3rd there was certainly no guarantee that it was going to continue beyond that but all right if you had a trip scheduled over the course of the next week or so are you not going to get on the plane because people around you will not be wearing masks 8556161620 i have i find it hard to believe in the real world that there's many people who would actually cancel their trip what do you think <music> I think the the mask mandate on airlines is is not coming back. I I think even if there's an appeal and the the Justice Department says it's going to appeal, but they're not asking for a stay. I, I just I think they're kind of going through the motions and slow walking this. But it does raise this issue about, you know, what about the the percentage of people who booked their tickets Um, counting on the fact that everybody around them would be wearing masks should they be entitled to a refund. And the airlines are saying they're going to take it on a case-by-case basis. But I'm wondering, are, are there really that many people out there who, in the real world, who were planning to, I don't know, fly to Southwest Florida? I'm going to Naples, Florida. I'm flying to Fort Myers Beach. Um, would you cancel your plans because all of a sudden now you you don't have to wear a mask or people around you don't have to wear a mask? Let's talk to um, um, Delmar in uh, Orlando. Good afternoon, Lamar in Orlando. Hello.
7: Hey, Jeff. Uh, always a pleasure. Thanks for taking my call so i don't so i work on planes i'm a crew member and based on just the eye test of the the number of people that can now optionally wear a mask and i'm one of those people that is so grateful that we're past this mask mandate hopefully it doesn't come back but just based on that i don't there's there's, out of 150 200 people on a plane you maybe got four people that are wearing a mask and of the what two million people that fly on an average uh, on an average day, I, I think that it's less than one percent, if that high. I think one percent is even high. I think there's going to be just it's so few people, I don't think it'll make much of a difference because other than planes and airports, where in this country do you have to wear a mask that is required? And then other countries it's the same thing. So I don't think that there's enough people that'll make a difference. Okay, Even so if the airlines th- decide they're going to refund everybody. I don't think it'll make much of uh, a difference.
1: Okay, so let me ask you: Have you flown um, as a crew member? Have you flown since the mask mandate was dropped on what was it Monday? Have you have you had had any flights since then?
7: I have, I have. I've flown on several flights since then.
1: Okay, so and so your estimate is. Two percent, three percent, or but certainly no more than that of people who are choosing to to still wear masks.
7: Correct. It's 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 a very low number, Um, and it's mostly. And again, this is me. This is just my. Sure. It's mostly, um, you know, older people. um, You know, those that are, you know, Mm -hmm. that you know are probably going to be those that are going to wear a mask indefinitely moving forward. Um, So it's not it's not a lot of people, and I don't think a lot of people. And, and they're, they're still flying. I don't think a lot of people have booked their, that are booking tickets now that are saying, hey, I booked it with the understanding that we have to wear masks. Right. I don't think there's a lot of people like that.
1: Yeah, that's my sense, you know, too. I, I, that, I just don't think... Right. There, there, there might be people who felt more comfortable at wearing a mask, and I don't know what that percentage would be, but it, it's probably not a large percentage, and I can't imagine... I, I mean, I guess theoretically, I can imagine. Okay, maybe there's somebody who's Im- immune compromised or, or whatever who, who won't fly. But that that that's probably that that's the unicorn. That that's one one in five hundred, one in a thousand, or whatever.
7: Right, and that's also why I think that, like, you know, and I, I don't. I, I work for United. I, I'm not afraid to say that, but because I don't say anything controversial. But I think that's also why United is saying we'll take it case by case. Because if you booked your ticket a week ago. You know, knowing that the mandate was gonna, you know, be you know removed, or right before they were con- contemplating it the first time, I think they're gonna be saying like, hey, you know, you kind of knew that this was gonna expire. What's the real reason that you're trying to cancel? Just to kind of weed out, you know, those instances as well. So that's just my opinion.
1: No, no, I think that that's interesting. Um, I would assume, as a member of a flight crew, that this this makes your job a lot easier simply because now you're you're, you're not. Constantly going around and arguing with people about hey pull your mask up or or whatever I, this has got to make your life a lot easier I would assume.
7: Oh my goodness, Jeff, it's so much easier. And, and as a crew member, you're you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. On one hand, you understand why people don't want to wear masks, right? On the other hand, it's a rule that you have to enforce because even let's say I, I want to be lax today, right? Today I want to be lax. Everyone's kind of cool and playing, but you'll have that customer that, you know, rings the bell or taps you on the shoulder. Hey, this guy's not wearing his mask. And they want you to jump up and say something. Yeah. And if it's a passenger that is, you know, going back and forth, there's other passengers that are going to demand that you step into action. So you're kind of stuck. Yeah. And, it, and it becomes more, more of a hassle, you know, than anything.
1: Yeah, interesting. Well, thank, thanks for your perspective. And, again, I'm, I'm glad Lamar is a flight attendant and, you know, works on the crew. And that, and, and I, I will tell you, you know, just in the real world, the, the practical – situation that, that's out here, the, the, the stress that you put the, these flight crew members under um, uh, as far as having to you know argue with people over the mask. And, and my argument was always, I did not support, I thought, I think that the mask rule on airplanes was, was way overdone. I think it should have expired a long time ago. But my, my point was, it, it was always, it was a rule. So, I mean, it never made any sense to me that you could, I don't know, you know, walk through, you know, crowded you, – you could go to Las Vegas and you could, you know, walk through crowded shopping malls or that you could go to Pfizer Forum and sit next to people watching, you know, Bucks games or go to movie theaters and not have to wear masks and yet you had to do them when you were sitting in an airport. It never made any sense to me, you know, once – once the numbers started to stabilize and, and things like that. But that that's just me. The rule was you had to wear the mask. So, okay, I, I wore the mask. I'm, that's If that's the rule, I'll, I'll do it. Don't have to like it, don't think it's necessary, but I'll do it, that's okay. But I can imagine from the perspective of the flight attendants, you know, what that issue would bring up with you've got some people who just, regardless of what the rule is, don't want to respond. And even if they're not causing trouble, maybe you've got other people that are, oh, that, that one guy who's saying oh, that person needs to wear their mask. And then you've got the poor flight attendant that's in the middle of all this. I do think in general, it's going to make people's life a lot easier. And for everybody out there who thinks, oh, this is just terrible, I mean, people People are voting with their actions. And I don't know if Lamar is right when he says, based on his personal observations that, that maybe you've got two or three percent of the people who are still choosing to wear masks, that strikes me as maybe a little bit low, but probably not out of the, the ballpark. That tells you that the vast majority of people have kind of, you know, moved beyond this. Don in Racine, Don, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
8: Hey, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. You know, my problem with this whole topic is that they had a gal on, on the news the other night who is immunocompromised and had booked a flight to go see her new granddaughter for the first time in two years uh, and now wants to cancel her flight and, and get her money back mm-hmm. because she doesn't feel safe anymore. Well, by the CDC's own declaration, mass have a 0.1 efficacy, right? In other words, they don't work, not the cloth masks that we were all willing to wear. Mm -hmm. And if she wants to jump on a flight, it's very simple. No one else on the airplane should have to wear a mask while she puts on an M95, right? A well-fit M95, she's you know, zero point one chance of catching anything. So, yeah, that, yeah. that's
1: my take. On it. Well, it you know again, and I think it's one of those deals where there there are don there are going to be a, a small percentage, and, and see that the. the, the from the perspective of the airlines, I don't think they have an obligation to do this because the, the truth of the matter is the, these, these mask mandates have been scheduled to they, – they've been extended and extended, but there, there's no guarantee that – it's an executive order. It's not like it's a law or anything like this. So there's been no guarantee that the Biden administration couldn't have – uh, other than the fact that it's the Biden administration, there's no guarantee that they couldn't have turned around and simply said, hey, you know, we've decided because we're looking at the numbers and the number of deaths are down dramatically and the number of hospitalizations are down dramatically. And even though COVID is still around, even if people catch it, the vast majority of people who catch it are, aren't going to have any con- consequences or at least any significant consequences, particularly since people can get vaccinated and all those things that we've talked about before, that the Biden administration could have decided to end the the mandate earlier. I mean, they could have they could have come out and said, "Yeah, you know, we know we know we said we were going to extend it till May third, but the CDC is now telling us that um, they they don't think we need to have it, so you know we're going to end it tomorrow." They could have done that. So there's been no guarantee at any time during this that the, these mask requirements were always going to be in place. I do think for that for the unicorns, for the handful of people who have decided that they're not going to get on commercial aircrafts if everybody on them isn't wearing a mask, I think... I think the right thing for the airline to do would be to say, "Oh, okay, fine. If you don't want to travel, we'll 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 refund it, and you know, somebody else will probably jump and, and take your seat." So I, I think it's a good thing to do. But as far as disrupting air travel, again, there there might be a couple of people. And I've got a text from one or two people saying, "Well, you know, we're we're not going to go because of our unique situations," and that that that's all well and good. That's a decision that you get to make. But I don't think there's too many people out there like that, and. For anybody who thinks that this is an unpopular, that this court decision was unpopular, I just don't think that the reality bears that up. Back with more in just a minute. All right, we have breaking news. Um, Republican businessman Tim Michaels has just announced that he is going to run for Wisconsin governor. He's the uh, CEO, co-owner of the Michaels Corporation, which is a huge infrastructure company. He ran unsuccessfully for U.S. Senate. Ah gosh, almost, I think, 20 years ago or so, he's now getting in the race to run for governor. He will be able to self-finance whether or not, you know, how he's going to distinguish himself from the other candidates there, particularly the leading candidate, Rebecca Clayfish, um, I, I, and, of course, um, Kevin Nicholson. How he's going to distinguish himself remains to be seen, but uh, another player, and this is one with deep pockets, in the Republican
0: primary for governor. It's time now for Jeff Wagner. Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner.
1: One quick thought on Tim Michaels entering the governor's race before we get to Pop Culture Corner. It's interesting simply because um, Rebecca Clayfish is, of course, for the former lieutenant governor, spent the last couple years lining up a, a lot of the institutional Republican support and um you know, she she has a lot of that as Lieutenant Governor under Scott Walker. So you've got that coalition that's there. Kevin Nicholson has kind of been portraying himself as the 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 anti party guy who's sort of running as, as kind of the outsider, and then you've got the other guy, Rantham, who's running on the let let's 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 throw out the election you know platform. That that's kind of the fringe thing. Um Tim Michaels is obviously I'm not sure where the constituency is. He's obviously hoping that he can peel enough Republican support away from Becky Clayfish, maybe arguing that he's the most electable candidate. don't don't know how it's going to play out, but it will, in fact, be interesting. Okay, Pop Culture Corner. It's Pop Culture Corner time, brought to you by Palermo's Pizza, delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza, as we do every week. It is in the discretion of my producer, Rachel. We have a Palermo's Pizza Prize Package. Try saying that three times fast. It includes uh, gift certificates certificates for two Palermo's pizzas, and it also—there's other stuff as as well that's in there, like pizza cutters and things like that. So, right, we've got a prize package, and it is— it is completely in her discretion one of our callers will will get the award i have i have nothing to do with it so don't yell at me she's the one that gets to make the decision okay so what are we talking about today on pop culture corner all right over the weekend record store day 2022 D- did you did you know that this saturday Record Store Day, and it's a day where we celebrate record stores. Now, if you were of a certain age, you might say, Jeff, what is this record store thing that you speak of? Because back in the day, you actually, if you wanted to to buy music, you would go to this store, and the store would have, yes, vinyl albums, and you would, like, look through the vinyl albums, and they'd have the cover art, and you'd pick an album that you wanted, and you would bring it home. Well, okay, you know, the the vinyl albums have – uh, some people like audiophiles. There, there is a it's a niche now, but but it, but let's face it, it, it's a niche. You know, good luck finding record stores anymore. There, there's a handful of them, but not like there were. Because then we went from record stores and vinyl, and then we went to you, you had cassettes and you had eight tracks. Don't even get me started on eight tracks. And then you had the CDs, and now, of course, what's happened is you, you don't. Back in the day if you wanted—there's there, a new record out by your favorite, your favorite artist. Okay, Fleetwood Mac has just put out a new album, and what you would have to do is you would have to buy the entire album, side, you know, the first side, the back side, and, and you'd get all the songs, maybe 10 songs, maybe 8 songs, maybe 12 songs, whatever. You'd buy the entire album. Nowadays— you don't have to do that. So your favorite performer comes out with, with new music, and you can sample it. I mean, you can say, okay, they've just put out 10 new songs on what I'm calling an album, you know, but because of the way it, it works, you can you can listen to them before you buy them, and you can say, you know what, I, five of these I really like and five I don't. So you can buy the individual songs you know, and then put them in your music library or, or whatever that would be. You don't need to, if you choose not to, buy albums anymore, but yet- I always thought that there was something really cool about about the albums and about listening to the collection of of songs. And and a lot of times, well, some performers and some artists, it would just be kind of random songs. Oh, I've got a bunch of songs that are kind of put together. Other times, though, there there would be sort of themes, and and you could tell that the. The albums, you know, had, had a certain flow. Sometimes for some performers, you could tell kind of what's going on. Some artists, what, what was going on in their life? Because, you know, maybe they were going through a rocky divorce or something, and, and all the songs on the album were kind of like about their divorce or, or whatever, but it was—or or it was just really upbeat. Sometimes you could read that into it. So I thought for Pop Culture Corner today, in recognition of Record Store Day to, uh, that occurs tomorrow, all right, here's my question. The best album— of all time. I'm not talking about song, but your favorite album. 855-616-1620 that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Your favorite album. That would be a collection of songs Okay, what's the favorite one for you? 855-616-1620. We're back to take your text and your calls in just a moment. It's Pop Culture Corner Time again, brought to you by delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. That's Palermo's Pizza, Wisconsin's hometown pizza. 855-616-1620. Tomorrow is Record Store Day. In honor of that, we're talking about your favorite all-time album not song not band but the album back when we all had to buy albums uh, and this is i, I love this because it's just our text line of course always explodes and it's just a great walk down memory lane rolling stones Painted black um bob dylan 30th anniversary concert yeah a lot of dylan songs i think you could lump into that jeff i'm an 80s kid uh prince the purple rain um Purple Rain, that would be the greatest album for me. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, for me, it's Rush 2112. I bought it three times because I wore them all out. (laughs) You got to love it. Jeff Van Halen, number one. Um, Rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. Um, The Eagles, Hell Freezes Over. These are all great. I mean, I think a lot of people would say the Eagles, if you're talking about the Eagles, it would be Hotel California, But um, yeah, let's see. Jeff, not my absolute favorite, but After Hours by the Weekend is one I've been listening to a lot uh, lately. Jeff, Back in Black by ACDC, 855 616 1620. Let's start with TJ. TJ, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
6: Hey, good afternoon. How are you, sir?
1: I am well. Thank you, sir. Okay, I can. Best album of all time.
6: Oh, okay. I didn't hear like a buzz or anything. Uh, yeah, my my favorite album, you know, for for vinyl is uh, *Rumors*. Uh, it's it was one of those great albums from you know the golden era of. Uh Oh, of Fleet, well, right. like Fleetwood
1: Mac, Come and, on,
6: 77.
1: Yeah, Fleet. No, thanks for called Fleetwood Mac. Of course, a mega seller. That was the follow up that, that really took off. To I mean, there and, and Fleetwood Mac had been around for years and years, but their their really successful incarnation was the one with Lindsey Buckingham and uh, 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 you know Christine McVie and John McRee- McVie and of course Stevie Nicks. And and so you had the Fleetwood Mac album, and then you had Rumors. One of my claims to fame is I saw them Alpine valley front row during the rumors tour didn't even know i had front row tickets i've told this story before we they, they had two shows and they added a third we, we bought them a ticket master and i didn't realize it was the front row we were in the front row stevie Nicks could hear my friend shouting at her um i'm not sure that was a good thing or not but i vividly remember that let's talk to uh, jack jack you're on wtmj good afternoon
8: how you doing, Jeff? a am... beautiful, sunny day.
1: Yeah, yeah, you got it. What do
8: you,
1: <laughs> yeah. what, what do you think? Best album of all time?
8: Sergeant Peppers.
1: Oh. Oh, well, you know, a lot of people would say that was, I mean, that was, of course, groundbreaking, and a lot of people would say that that was the greatest album of all time as well. You know, I remember the Beach Boys had come out with Pet Sounds a couple weeks before, and then the Beatles just blew everybody away when they, when they dropped Sergeant Peppers.
2: And that has to be the best album cover of all
7: time. Also,
1: oh, it's definitely no. Thanks for, it's In definitely no. You're right. No, thanks for call. You know, one of the one of the great things is if you ever you know have a half hour to kill, just just pull up that album and then you know try to figure out all the different faces that are represented on on that particular album. No question about it. Okay, let's talk to Tom. Uh, Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
6: Good afternoon. How are you doing?
1: I am well, thank you, sir. Okay, best album of all time?
6: Uh, It's got to be the Beatles' Yellow Submarine.
1: Okay, tell me why you think Yellow Submarine.
5: It's just iconic. Okay. Everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. And you can listen to it over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, of course, you know that you, you had that the cartoon movie as well. I mean, right. Plus, it, it, was, it was groundbreaking at the time. No, I, I can't argue with that, Tom. And, by the way, my producer Rachel says you win our Palermo's prize package for this week. So she is obviously a fan of Yellow Submarine as well
2: that's awesome. Thank you very much. Okay,
1: take care. That's great. Uh, that's our, and we will give away a Palermo's prize package every week during Pop Culture Corner. Tom wins it this week for Yellow Submarine. Mike in West Bend. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
8: Well, good afternoon, Jeff. This made my day, I'll tell
1: you. <laughs> oh, what do you, well, what do you think? Uh, what well, Best I'm album of all time? With,
8: well, it has to be u two's Octoon Baby, and I, what the way you got to look at this is the entirety of the package. It was recorded in Berlin when the Berlin Wall was coming down back yeah. in '91, I believe. Yeah. And the um, the three producers who are Daniel Lenoir, Brian Eno, and Steve Lillywhite, they produce their. Um, they were involved with Joshua Tree. And this album came right after Joshua Tree, which yeah. was a huge success. Right. However, it was a departure from the fact that it was very industrial-sounding, and it was uh, totally different than their previous albums. It was just remarkable. And then the final piece of that puzzle is Zoo TV, which was the tour that followed um, Set the Standard, of gigantic industrial type um, yeah it, construction it, and, and sets
1: well mike that's i mean thanks mike that's a, that, that is actually a great analogy when i think of you 2 you uh, you too i always think of uh, of the joshua tree album which is i think probably their their most popular one uh, now you got me thinking i'm going to have to go back and, and listen to Ak-Chung baby um, let's talk to let's see uh, donna donna you're on wtmj good afternoon
4: Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, if you have a hard time hearing me, it just started to downpouring uh, in my car. So. Oh
1: God. I got you, though. We're, okay, best um, album of all time.
4: So there's just too many to name. So I'm just going to go with one of my faves, which is Elton John's Goodbye Yellow Book Road.
1: Yeah. Um, Donna, thanks for calling. Well, I'm, I'm start here.
8: Start to finish.
1: Yep. And um, thanks for
4: calling. Right,
1: I'm going to let you go just because we are getting a lot of that background noise with the rain. But yes, I that I I I could not argue with that at all. Um, You know. Still relatively early in his career. Lots of great songs on that. Funeral for a Friend, et cetera, et cetera. It's sort of a theme album, but that's that's Elton John, and that's his songwriter, Bernie Taupin. That is, that is them at their highlight. Uh, a great double record. Okay, let's see. We're just kind of swamped with uh, text here. Let me get to a couple. Um, let's see. Um, let's see. Uh, yes, 90125 for me. Jeff? Uh, let's see, Led Zeppelin Physical Graffiti. Um, You got that there. Jeff, Moving Pictures by Rush, uh let's see. Um inter George Thorogood and the destroyers. Uh, that's a that's kind of an off-the-wall one, but I think people like that. Jeff, Moody Blues Days of Future Past. Yeah, that was it. Um Jeff, the Steve Miller band, Fly Like an Eagle. Yeah, I mean Steve Miller originally from Madison, relocated into uh into San Francisco. Fly Like an Eagle was just huge, that album. Um, and, of course, the one before that that they did, The, the Joker, was um, huge, too. Jeff, to me, it's Peter Frampton Comes Alive. If you are of a certain age, you cannot imagine how big a record Frampton Comes Alive was. Just, just huge um, as well. Jeff, for me, it's Carole King Tapestry. Okay, Carole King Tapestry, if you were in college in the 1970s, and you were trying to meet girls, you had to at least pretend that you liked Carol King trap tapestry, because every girl in college Loved Carol King Tapestry, and if you were going to be a if you were going to be a caring, understanding guy that wanted to get dates, you had to love Carol King Tapestry as well. Actually, I think it's a really good record to begin with. Uh, Jeff Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, um, uh, all these are just great choices, just absolute great choices. Who's next by the Who? You got that one that's there. Um, All sorts of just tremendous, tremendous records. Uh, To me, I'm a Jimmy Buffett fan. I, I would say A1A is always one of my very, very favorite records as well. But the bottom line is it's record store day tomorrow. Here's the way you can celebrate it. If you're not going to a record store to buy an album, find your favorite album from your music collection. I don't care how you're going to listen to it, but find your favorite album and listen to it from beginning to end and appreciate it all. And that is Pop Culture Corner for this week. Thanks so much for participating.